Hey everybody, it's Nathan. Just a quick invitation. On December 6th, I'm doing a free online class. It's uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and I'm calling it the December 2017 LSAT Postmortem. We're going to talk briefly about what people have said about the test, stories from different test centers, whether or not you should cancel your score, and just a broad Q&A. Basically, uh, you ask and I'll answer um, you can register for that via my website. Just go to foxlsat.com and click on courses and you'll see your registration. Thanks. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Los Angeles. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Washington, D.C. is Ben Olson. Uh, ben, how was the beach? Oh, it was good, actually. Uh, it was warmer than I was expecting, and um, the kids uh, got in the water a lot more than I would have thought. Oh, but wow. I, <laughs> hey, you know, it was it was good. It was cheap, and um, it was just fun to be somewhere else. So, Did you uh, swim at all? Uh, no, I did not do that. No? I just stayed got, inside. And, you got that yeah. warm Atlantic water, though, right? Like, it's when it's... It, it's. I found it to be much more swimmable than the Pacific. Yeah, that is true. The water is coming from the south as opposed to from the north. Um, or at least that's what I understand. And it does seem warm. So that's nice. The ocean here is just cold, like all year round, basically. I mean, it'll, it'll, if it's hot yeah. weather, then it's nice to go swimming. But um, most of the year, like yesterday, it was 70 degrees here. And I mm-hmm. like rode my bike to... Uh, Hermosa Beach, and it was just like spectacularly beautiful day. But I would never think about getting in the water because <laughs> the water is just frigid. So hmm. absolutely yeah. no way. Um, cool. So good Thanksgiving. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, it was great. I was uh, hanging out with my friend. It's my buddy's girlfriend. Uh, he he's a pilot, and he was on the road. He was on a three day uh, trip. And okay. we were hanging out at their place in Tahoe. So it was me and his girlfriend who has become my good buddy. And uh, it was just the two of us for like three days. And we had all these plans of things we were going to do. But they have a uh, Nintendo Wii U. And a Wii U. Okay, Wii U, this is different than the Switch, I guess. It's, yeah, that's the it's the one platform older than the Switch, but it's still badass. And um, they have uh, Super Mario 3D World. And we just started a brand new game of Super Mario 3D World, and we ended up playing, over the course of three days, we played the entire thing all the way front to back and uh, just, like, got super obsessed. And uh, it was delightful. (laughs) It was, like, it was a super, super nice uh, break from reality to just kind of be on the couch and ate a bunch of, like, gummy bears and just (laughs) played played Nintendo for three days. So, yeah, it was super nice. That's funny, yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, um, our cousins have a Switch, and uh, it was pretty cool to play, like, Mario Kart with four people, mm. you know? Yeah. Everybody just gets yelling and stuff. Um, but at one point, we played some Mario game, and uh, my youngest wanted me to play it, and then he wanted me to practice, whatever that meant, <laughs> and <laughs> while he went and did something else. And so... Uh, I was walking around in some like desert sort of town, and my hat could come off. Mario's hat could come off. I was like, "What yeah. is the point of this game? Is that the same 
kind no. of thing where you're walking around. That's okay. the new Mario Odyssey game. Oh, Mario Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. what it was called. Which I've read uh, nothing but good things about. I can't wait to play it. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, because yeah. I could not see any point or rhyme or reason to it all. So I was just like, um, anyone else want to take the control here? <laughs> Yeah, that one is supposedly the successor to the Mario 64, uh, Super Mario 64 game, which was really, really great. And I've heard uh, heard nothing but good things about this new Mario Odyssey game. I I love Nintendo stuff. Um, the The great thing about Nintendo, as compared to Xbox and PlayStation, is that it's so awesome for live multiplayer. Like the <clears throat> experience you guys had playing yeah. Mario Kart is just there you know there's great games for PlayStation and there's great games for Xbox but you know and PC whatever but they just are always kind of like one player or they're online multiplayer mm-hmm. but the live the live multiplayer I feel like Nintendo just nails it it's just so yeah. delightful to play those Nintendo games with um with people in the in the same yeah. room it's just super, yeah. super fun so Anyway, um, okay, so maybe enough uh, video game talk for <clears throat> this episode. Um, no more. And, yeah, you want to dive into uh, listener mail? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So this first one is a student of yours, I guess, and she gave us 10 bucks. And she, oh, yeah. And she wrote us a super – oh, wait, sorry. This is a different one from the iTunes review. But this is a student of yours, gave us 10 bucks. You want to read the email? It's your student. Sure, sure. Ben, just wanted to drop you a note this Thanksgiving week and let you know that I'm thankful to you and Nathan for the podcast and for all your help through your class. Awesome. As such, you've got big money. Okay, only $10. Coming your way as a thank you for the podcast. Hey, compared to the uh, $1.70 that we got, this is big money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Remember, not below $0.30. I decided not to retake the LSAT. I felt like I gave it my all and... Raising my score by five points moved me from the 25th percentile at my first choice school to the 75th percentile. That's awesome. I mean, that people need to, that's worth emphasizing, I thought. You know, yeah. that like, really that five points, it's crazy how it can move you from the 25th to the 75th percentile at some school. And uh, that's a big difference. I mean, that's the difference between like potentially not getting in and potentially getting scholarship money. Yeah, and that's actually a, a good reason to just retake the test if you're ever in doubt. I mean, I know uh, Katie did not retake the test here, but um, you know, if you go up, you win. If you don't go up, or if you go down, it's it's not a problem, right? right? You're not really going to lose anything. So, right. if you have the time and you're willing to go one more shot, it's worth it. Uh, I just submitted. All 10 of my applications, and thanks to yours and Nathan's advice on contacting schools for fee waivers, I saved a ton of money. I didn't qualify for an LSAC waiver, but I called or emailed all of my schools and asked if I could have a fee waiver for their apps. Eight of the 10 waived their fees. One said no, and one didn't respond. (laughs) Assholes. God damn. <laughs> Just bad business. Oh my God. Yeah, seriously. Who's organizing that? It took my app's cost from $1,000 down to $450. Feel free to share this on the podcast because everyone should be doing this. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, that, is, that is awesome. If you're not asking, you're not saving yourself $550. 
Um, yeah, and all th- that takes is quick emails. Yeah, Not, you know, there's there's very little cost in that, and you save yourself a ton of money. She ends. Thanks again for your help. I feel very blessed to have come across your podcast six months ago. Happy Thanksgiving, Katie. Well, thanks, Katie. That's awesome. That those are that's uh, <laughs> some good advice. If you haven't asked for fee waivers, despite um, our suggestion in the past, now's your opportunity to take it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody needs to be doing this. They're, cool. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just insane that they would charge you $100 to apply for their school that's going to cost you $150,000 to go to. It's like paying yeah. an admission admission fee to walk onto the lot at the Mercedes dealership. Yeah. Yeah. They should be giving you, like, coffee, you know, a back rub. They should be... <laughs> Seriously, they want they they spend so much money trying to get applications. Yeah. So if you call them or email them and say, "Hey, I'd I'd, I'd like a fee waiver." I mean, well, here we go. Katie got eight out of ten. So, <laughs> yeah. It's probably. Do it. I think it's got it's got two two motivations. One is it's a legacy item, right? It comes from a time when. Everyone was wanting to go to law school, and the law school is called all the shots. And it's hard to let go of that source of income, I imagine, on one level, yeah. like just to say goodbye to it. Yeah. But on another level, I imagine that there is some strategy, if we can use that word, um, to uh, to this in the sense that they do want people who are, you know, remotely serious about attending their school. Right, and I guess it's it's somewhat of a litmus test. And but if right. you ask, uh, the reality that is they'd rather the, you apply. <laughs> yeah, and that passes the litmus test by itself. Yes, because you are reaching out to them, right? Yep. And it makes you look like a lawyer too, because mm-hmm. you're asking for shit. <laughs> That's like part of what <laughs> lawyers do is just make demands, you know, or issue <laughs> issue demand letters, make requests. So. So yeah, call, emailing them and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm interested in your school, and I'm I'm wondering if I get a fee waiver." What, yeah, they're gonna. The worst they can say is no, and you can still apply if you want. Yep. But when eight out of ten for Katie said yes, and I've heard similar stories before. I mean, that's that's not uncommon at all. So yeah, good job saving five hundred fifty bucks, Katie. Yeah. <clears throat> cool. Um. Okay. Next one. Uh. Hey, Ben and Nathan. This is one of uh, also one of Ben's former students. Um, this uh, oh, by the way, w- um, is this anonymous? Okay, well, I guess it's anonymous. Um, one of Ben's former students, but uh, also wrote us a super nice iTunes review, and I I, I just decided not to read it on the air because it was going to be way too heavy handed. But it was super nice, so really appreciate it. But I just didn't want to yeah no, blow thanks. ourselves up too much. Um, <clears throat> it says uh. Okay, it's a bunch of questions here. Number one, what's your feeling on requesting fee waivers to schools where I'm around the median LSAT GPA? How about if I'm around the 25th percentile? My gut tells me it's a bit presumptuous, especially for the 25th percentile. But I plan on applying to 15 to 20 schools, and those fees really add up. If you think it's a good idea, how would you craft an email to the admissions office? What to include, what not to include? Well, as we were just saying, I think it's a good idea, even if you're in the 25th percentile, because uh, 
these schools still want people to apply. Um, I think that uh, one thing that can be interesting here is if you ask for a fee waiver from a bunch of schools that you're not really likely to get into, if any of them come back and say, sure, no problem, we'll waive the application fee, well, then maybe you have more of a chance than you initially thought and it might be worth taking your time to apply to that school. In other words, um, why not ask for fee waivers from all the top schools? If any of them come back to you and say yes, even if you don't have anywhere of a shot, well, they said yes, it's now free. Maybe there's something about their your numbers that they're willing to go for, I guess. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I would also say to this correspondent, I mean, you don't need to tell them that you're at their 25th percentile in the email request. Oh, no, 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 no. You could, you'd you want to do that if you're really high, if you have, if you're on the higher sure. end so that they feel motivated to send that. But yeah. Yeah. If you're at their 75th percentile, you can tell them your numbers, but if you're at their 25th percentile, you could tell them any other reason why you're asking for a fee waiver. Just tell them that you're paying for your law school applications by yourself and you're the first in your family to go to law school and the application fees are just really daunting and you're interested in their school, but you were wondering about getting a fee waiver. Yep. I mean, that's that's it. I, and I don't know. <clears throat> it seems like people maybe overly strategize uh, the, <laughs> the, uh, the like exactly what to put in the email and what not to put in the email. I mean, be yourself. It's, they're a business. They do these negotiations a bazillion times a year. They know the game. They're they're expecting people, some per percentage of the people, to call in and email in and ask about fee waivers. So just be polite, be professional, but definitely ask. Yeah, just put yourself in their shoes for one second here. If you're polite, it's never going to be a problem or presumptuous or anything in that regard because the worst that they can say is no. Right. Sorry, uh, just go ahead and pay the application. They don't. That doesn't – as long as you're nice about it, it's not going to hurt you in any way. Um, and really, they don't have anything to lose. I mean, if, if they say yes, uh, well, now you're not paying them to give you an application, but they can just as easily look at it quickly and dismiss it if it's not anywhere near the numbers that they want, or they can dig into it if it is. And at that point, they uh, want you to <laughs> well, you know, look at them. So they there's really also no downside. They want – I mean if yield actually matters, they want you to apply so that they can deny you or you know, or, or, or whatever. Not yield. That's not yield I guess. That's uh, whatever it is. There's a different number, right, on how many applications yeah, they get and how many yeah. they decline. How many they accept. How, whatever they're – yeah, they want their apply. acceptance yeah. rate to be lower. Yeah. So they, they're not – they don't care. I mean the, the worst they can say on the fee waiver is no and the worst they can say on the application is no. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't – I wouldn't like advertise that your numbers are low, but I also don't think that your numbers being low is like necessarily going to keep you from getting a fee waiver. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> number two, is it worth adding an addendum to explain my two lowest grades in college? I got a B- minus in two advanced math-heavy econ classes my senior year. Without those classes, my GPA would have been a whole tenth of a point higher – I should mention I was an econ major, but how relevant is an advanced econ class to law school? Hmm. This is tough because it's in your senior year. 
That's exactly. That's not the time you want to be bringing. Yeah. The focus. You don't want to point out that you because they they're thinking about what what the student they're getting, and these are the most recent classes you took. Yeah. So they're like, well, maybe shit's going on with her. Uh, yeah, and then also this, I mean, it only makes your GPA a tenth of a point higher. I don't know. That's not, like, shockingly higher. And it's not going to make it a tenth of a point higher officially. It's just a subjective thing. So Yeah, and you were an econ major, and now you sucked in these two, like, intense econ classes? I, no, I'm thinking absolutely not. Yeah, don't mention it. Also, by the way, how relevant is an advanced econ class to law school? Um, potentially vary. Yeah. The, the, the kind of thinking that's required for an advanced econ class, for a physics class, is logical thinking. And that's the kind of thing that law schools like. And that's why econ majors, physics majors, math majors do really well on the LSAT. Yeah, not to mention law and economics is a thing. I mean, there's going to be multiple Antitrust law and economics, law. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. law and economics electives. Uh, boy, yeah, all the there's all kind. Of, like, if you don't think law school is about business, I mean, it, like high level corporate business, that's definitely wrong. There's like a million tax classes. There's business associations, corporations. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I would. <laughs> I would definitely. I mean, you're not going to have to do a lot of math in law school. I think right. that's what he's probably thinking about. But like, I see. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just would. I would ignore this. I'd let it go. Yeah, let's let's not mention that. Um, okay, what's the value of submitting optional essays? I keep hearing that deans say they're actually optional. Is this really the case? Well, yes, they are actually <laughs> optional. Um, <laughs> I think this is interesting because I don't know why it makes me laugh so much. But it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like most people, so, so this correspondent is wanting to feel, feeling the need to submit them even though they're optional. Whereas I, I feel like a lot of times people feel like, they want to submit them, but they don't know if they should. Like it's the other, it's the other way. Yeah, um, yeah, right. This, this is, is like this is wait, sounding can, like laziness. <laughs> do I have to submit them? Kind of thing. Well, <laughs> if you can submit them, you do want to. If you have something to say that fits into the question being <laughs> asked, and it's a, it's something that's going to make you look better <laughs> as opposed to neutral or worse obviously uh then yeah write it if you don't then don't i think it really just comes down to that if you have something to say that will shed light on you in a good way i would take advantage of it cuz the more they know the more um likely they are to say yes it's sort of like an faq page on a, <laughs> a service or something that you're signing up for the more questions you can get answered before you sign up, the more likely you are to say, yes, let me go ahead and do this because I feel good about what I'm jumping into. And I feel like they're sort of the same. They're reviewing your application. The more they know about you, the more they like you, the more likely they're going to just say, hey, I know this person. I relate to this person. Let's accept them as opposed to Sally who has a very similar 
application in terms of numbers, but maybe doesn't have as much to say. So, Lawyers are advocates and professional writers. When they ask you to submit an optional essay, they're giving you an opportunity to advocate for yourself and to demonstrate your writing abilities. Are you an advocate or not? Are you a lawyer or not? Now, that's not to say that you have to like feel obligated to submit every single optional essay. But really, you can't you can't you can't make a case for yourself. I mean, I understand some of them it's just you don't think it applies or whatever or you don't think it's going to add anything to your already existing application package. Mm-hmm. In that case, it's a totally fine thing to just decline it. Mm-hmm. But in many other cases, they just want to see they want to see how bad you want it and they write these prompts very open-ended so that you, you know, they're 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 giving you an opportunity to sell yourself. Yeah. They're giving you an opportunity to build your case. Lawyers file motions all the time that they pretty sure are going to lose. Right? They they don't think the motion is going to go get through. But they file the motion anyway because there's some chance it might get through. Mm -hmm. And the worst that can happen is it gets denied. Well, in this case, when they ask you some question, you know, they're asking you about yourself. They're asking you about why you're choosing their school. They're asking you whatever they're asking you. You know, your favorite books or your favorite fictional characters or whatever they're asking you. Uh, (laughs) Yes, they are optional, but I think you should kind of want to fill them out. Mm -hmm. I don't know. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm currently in the midst of applications. I expect to be ready to submit by mid-December slash late December at the latest. Is this too late? Does it make more sense to wait for next cycle? Obviously, a lot depends on my personal circumstances, mainly how much I enjoy my next job. But in general, what do you think? I don't think it's too late, especially if you can get in by mid-December. I mean, it would be nicer to have it be earlier. But the reality is most people are going to apply in mid-January after the December LSAT scores are released. So you apply in mid-December before uh, people leave for the holidays. You're going to be a month before most other applicants. Yeah. Um, the So I agree. I do not think it's too late. If you really want to start law school in 2018, I definitely don't think mid-December or late December or even mid-January it, after this, the December scores are out. I don't think that's too late. Mm-hmm. That said, if uh, I were paying for it, I would force you to wait until the beginning of the next cycle. If there's any reason, if if there if you have any flexibility in your schedule and if you can wait, and if I were paying for it, I would force you to wait. I mean, we've already started seeing admissions. We've already started seeing scholarship offers, right? Right now, mm-hmm. and this is in November. But we started seeing them in what October? Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, you are behind some people, and some people have already gotten scholarship offers, and so those people are, you know, they're a little bit ahead of you in line. It's not the hugest difference in the world, but. Um, I don't think anybody ever regrets putting off law school for a little bit longer. Uh, at least I've never heard of a case mm-hmm. <laughs> in 11 years of teaching LSAT. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't, I just don't know. 
I don't like this idea that like, it depends on how much I enjoy my next job. That's like not, I don't think that should be part of your analysis. There's all kinds of shit you can do, including quitting your job and getting some other job. There's all kinds of things you can do if you decide to wait another cycle. So I think the analysis should be, you know, are my numbers going to get me in where I want to go at the right price? And it's totally possible to apply mid-December, late December, even January, and get in to great schools at, at fine prices. That's totally possible. But there's also zero downside to waiting until the beginning of the next cycle. And there's potentially upside to waiting until the beginning of the next cycle. And I just, I rarely counsel people to hurry up and get their applications in. You know, unless it's yeah. like, hurry up and get them in <laughs> before Halloween. Mm-hmm. Those, those applications, I am always, I'm always encouraging people, hey, let's get them in. It's the beginning of the cycle. Let's get them in now. But by the time, now it's December, January, I, I'm perfectly happy with you pushing it off. Okay. Um, also, I sent a donation for every point I improved between my Kaplan diagnostic and test day. Spoiler, it's $26. Thanks again for all your help. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 26 points. That's crazy. Yeah, awesome. All right. Um, anyway, should we wrap that email up there? Yep, that's great. All right. You want to grab the next one? Yeah. Hi, Ben and Nathan. Wicked here. Um, Wicked is the individual that we've been helping out with uh, the law school application process. Yep. She, she says, I figured it may be time for a little update on my law school admissions. Just a reminder. Oh. Oh, great. Thanks. Just a reminder, I'm a 3.8 and a 179. I have received admission to Duke, Georgetown, NYU, University of Michigan, and William & Mary. I got a full ride at William & Mary, exclamation point, but no news about financial aid at the other schools until next semester. I got waitlisted at Cornell. Finally, and very excitedly, I got an interview at my dream school, Harvard. They do interviews... Uh, 1,200 interviews about for about 900 spots. My mom was freaking out. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. I added Berkeley, UCLA, and Stanford to my list at your request. I had fee waivers for the first two, so it seemed like a no-brainer once I heard your arguments in favor. Finally, I'm Kaplan's newest LSAT tutor. Take that as you will. (laughs) All right. Well, um, that's an exciting update. Do you have any reactions to that? Um, yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Uh, that's crazy that Harvard interviews twelve hundred people and give nine gives nine hundred of them spots. Um, that's bizarre that they're just like knocking out one out of four people. Don't say anything stupid in your Harvard interview. You should be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think okay. it's a great idea to add Berkeley, UCLA, Stanford. I can't imagine not applying to Stanford with a 3.8 and a 179. I think you must apply to Stanford with those numbers. Yeah. Um, do we remember why Wicked has not applied to Yale or did Wicked apply to Yale? I don't remember. I would apply to every single one of them, even if you don't plan to go to them, all the top programs, and use them against each other. 
Absolutely. Yeah. You're in the driver's seat here and there's no reason not to apply to extra schools. Um, and when they start asking you for deposits, tell them you're, you, you're, you're weighing multiple offers. <laughs> like there's no, there's, there's no rush. You want to make sure you wait for those, uh, scholarship offers from all the other schools before you, uh, make your choice. As far as the Kaplan thing, it's awesome. We've got, we've got like inside, you know, inside information now from, uh, some of the big prep companies. And so I'd love to hear what Wicked thinks of Kaplan's program. Um, I'd love to hear, you know, what she thinks about uh, their methods and lessons and stuff. <laughs> I wonder if it's getting any better or if it's just still so horrible. Yeah, well, <clears throat> when I've heard about good Apple, uh, Kaplan instructors, I've heard from those students that the instructor tends to not really do a whole lot from their materials. Right. <laughs> Which is not surprising. Right. Sort of like, hey, uh, the book says this, but here's what I'm going to suggest or whatever. Yeah. So, Yeah, um, when a teacher actually gives a shit, you can yeah. – I mean, <laughs> that's like me when I was a brand-new power score teacher, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they hired me over the phone and just put me right into the classroom, and <laughs> I was – for real <laughs> – <laughs> and I, I was, uh, for real, I worked for PowerScore for a year and a half and I never met a human being from PowerScore in, in the flesh. Um, wait, 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 where, where were you teaching? San what Francisco. You in? Oh, you're in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. You never met one. So what they're like, go to this hotel and start teaching out of this book. Yeah. I mean, they shipped me some materials and they had me, you know, read them and they like the interview process was like, teach me something over the phone. Teach anything you want. Teach it to me. Anything you want? Yep. And so oh, wow. I don't even remember what I picked. Some Something that I knew how to do, and I, I taught them how to do it over the phone. And they were just like, yep, you're hired. Good. Perfect. Um, and then, yeah, they just basically – I mean, the training was like very minimal, and they just threw me into the, threw me into the classroom. So that's interesting because <clears throat> I've done a lot of interviews for people to help out um, in other in different ways, and I found that when I have people come in and explain an LSAT question of their choice, it not surprisingly goes very smoothly. But when I say, "Hey, will you explain this LSAT question?" Um, you can find a lot out <laughs> about how much this makes sense to them and how much they really just depend on their own preparation before talking about a particular question. Cause I'm like, Hey, look, just explain the question to me. Take your time. Think about all you want. Just what's your thought process on it. And sometimes it's just a disaster. And it's like, wow, you seemed like you really had your stuff together, but uh, this question is not going so well. And so I'm just surprised that not only did they have you teach on anything, it was, not necessarily even LSAT related. Yeah, that's the way I remember it. I mean, it's been an awful long time now, but that's that's definitely how I remember <clears throat> the pro the interview process. And then, of course, I had to get a 99th percentile LSAT score in order to mm -hmm. to teach. So, which yeah. was like 173 at the time. But no, yeah. I mean they they just like I, I had. Uh, I mean, the materials they sent me they sent me the weekend course, the PowerScore weekend course, and so I like I read through the PowerScore weekend materials. And, mm -hmm. uh, and took the LSAT and then they, yeah, went like my first full-time class, 
it was the full program. So it was like a big ass stack of books and lessons that I hadn't really, you know, I wasn't very familiar with the lessons at all, mm-hmm. but I just, no, I mean, I, I was like right in the classroom and <clears throat> they, I've told this story before, but, um, my, my first ever class. And I just went in there and I said, so my employer has told me, um, not to tell you guys that this is the first LSAT class I've ever taught. (laughs) (laughs) And that was basically the tone from there on including, and this is the point of my story to begin with was that they had all these reading comprehension lessons that I thought were just crap. Yeah. And you know, unnecessary, just bullshit basically. And so because I had the confidence, you know, from, from the get go, I just, I was like, Hey guys, we're, uh, <laughs> I kind of just like poked fun at the reading comp lessons mm-hmm. <laughs> because they don't make any sense. And, mm-hmm. um, and I then don't help students. So I, that, you know, that was my reaction. So maybe wicked will do that with, um, <laughs> basically the bulk of the Kaplan curriculum from what I've seen of it. Yeah. So that'll be, that'll be really interesting. Yeah. Um, cool. Anything else for wicked? No. Keep us uh, updated. Yeah. Thanks wicked. Yeah. We need, we need future updates from wicked, the Kaplan teacher. That's amazing. Great. Um, okay. Hey, Ben and Nathan, once again, thanks for your great show. I have a few questions on topics that I don't recall being discussed on the show. And I'm sure other listeners would appreciate your opinions on it. Um, the writing sample. Do you have any specific way? How do you recommend test takers attack it? An amateur test prep guy once told me to write it in barely legible script <laughs> so, so that admissions officers will ignore it. What do you think about that? Sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I just can't believe someone would say that with a straight face. That Make it hard to read so that people won't read it. That is officially a turd. Oh my gosh, that's worse than a turd. That's like a piece of like <laughs> um nuclear waste <laughs> like sitting in your bathtub or something. Like that's it's so horrible. That they're going to pick that up and they're going to be like, "What's wrong with this person? They can't even write." Nuclear Goodbye. turd. Nu- a nuclear turd. That's a a nuclear one. turd. I guess it's not so bad because it's only the writing sample. But I could still see people like you know reviewers who are who are normally don't even look at the writing sample, kind of like gloss over it and be like, "Wait, what the heck? What's going on over here? <laughs> this person can't even they can't even write a sentence. What the heck?" And then it's just like we're throwing this one out. You know, they're looking for ways to get rid of people that are absolutely just on the edge. Absolutely. So, if they if they're reading it, they are interested. And if they look at it and it's like not they literally can't read it or it's barely legible, yeah, that is not going to be a point in your favor. That is going to, if anything, be a point against you. I cannot believe. I mean, furthermore, you have to sit there for the 35 minutes. You have to do the assignment. Why don't you just do it nicely? Yeah. Why do you want them to ignore this? Yeah. (laughs) What? It's super easy. It's super formulaic. All you have to do is follow the instructions. Oh yeah. my god. Okay. So, so Ben, me, you have free videos some... about Yes, go ahead. <clears throat> oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, free videos about this. Uh, I mean, it's a great – l- listen, we could pimp our products here, Ben. <laughs> this is a good opportunity. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. <laughs> okay. Go to strategyprep.com slash free and sign up for Ben's free lessons. You will see videos, including videos on the writing sample. Is that right, Ben? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Go to foxlsat.com slash free. Sign up for my free course. One of the videos is 15 minutes about the writing sample. It's everything I know about the writing sample all in one video. You should never practice the writing sample. You should watch the videos, and that's it. You're done. It's so simple. It's so formulaic. Yep. Okay, so do that. Yep. Uh, But basically, the instructions, I mean, just follow the instructions. Pick a side. Follow the instructions. Yeah. uh, I'll give give one teaser tip right here, and it's the easiest one. They're going to ask you to pick a side. Uh, There's two options. There's two sides. They ask you to pick a side and argue for that side and explain why the person in the prompt should do that instead of the other option. Yes. My first tip, which is very, very, very simple, is simply to obviously pick a side and then argue for it. But make your first sentence just say, so-and-so should do X. Yeah, and the last sentence, I think. Sure, and the last sentence. Like for, for the last sentence can be for the above reasons, so and so should do X. Yeah, the first for sentence these is so and so should do X. Yep. Yeah, that, <clears throat> that indicates that you're following the directions. It indicates that you're following directions, and it also totally focuses you on exactly what you're supposed to be doing. I've, you know, when people are crazy enough to actually try to write a sample um, before going to take the test officially. And then they somehow end up sending it to me, which is, um, you know, okay, thank you. Um, and I take a look at it. I've seen some of these things, and they just they start out in the most bizarre ways, and you're you're like, whoa, this is not like some essay that's going to be submitted for some prize for artistic flair. Like this is an argument. It's like all the arguments you've read on the LSAT, but with hopefully fewer lame abstract terms like you're just this is what you should do and here's why that's it yeah follow the directions it's an advocacy essay they are checking to see if you can write if you can follow directions and if you can write clear sentences in english that's right making and this is an opportunity to show that illegible (laughs) does not give you an opportunity to show this oh my god okay this is I love this email. This is awesome. <clears throat> Next point. Conspiracy theory. Do you think law schools do handwriting analysis on the writing sample? <laughs> <laughs> is this from that amateur test prep guy again? I don't know where that idea oh, came from. Oh, probably not, actually, because if he thought that, he would tell you to use legible script. No, or but, no, illegible script so that they can't analyze you. Or like use your left <laughs> hand. Use your left hand so that they don't learn any information about you. Oh, my goodness. What would they deduce from that? You seem to have an analytical personality on the basis of your S. Handwriting analysis. Is that even a thing? Uh, that is a thing in like criminal cases, right? When you're trying to like, oh, they're trying injury. to nail you for a murder that you did because they're gonna check your <laughs> your writing sample on the LSAT. 
Oh, get this. I had a I had a family member, kind of a distant family member, but that family member did uh handwriting analysis for court cases. Oh. So all these times like he would I don't know, you just I, I don't know, it, it was kind of interesting cuz he would just talk about how people claimed to have you know I don't know not written something or whatever or they didn't write that that note that was like used to embezzle something or whatever and then they the my relative would look at their handwriting in other contexts and even though the handwriting looked different he'd be like oh yeah but see the weight of the pen goes wow. down at the same place yeah. for each of these letters so it really is the same person even though they're trying to make it look like it has I different see. handwriting and i guarantee you law schools are definitely doing that because that is important <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know man I, what would it be for i don't get it no. so some like this that 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 kind of analysis was let's figure out whether or not you wrote this not what was your psychosis yeah. as you wrote right yeah. I, I don't get i don't know what this is for I mean, for real, your handwriting probably matters more than the words you write. I, and by that, I mean, you should write it neatly because they might oh, sure. scan it. They might just glance at it or read one sentence. No, it looks like you and have your stuff together if you can write. Exactly. Neatly. Yeah. Nice handwriting is going to be a feather in your cap. Shitty handwriting or barely legible handwriting is not going to help you. That is going to only hurt you. But no, they are not doing any CSI uh, handwriting analysis on your writing sample. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, CRS, the Candidate Referral Service, because it allows law schools to see your private info, such as social security number, date of birth, et cetera, do you think it's worth it to sign up to the CRS? Uh, and then follow up, what if I know already which schools I want to apply to? Wait, you have to sign up for this for some schools. They require you to apply through it. No, no, no. Not the Credential Assembly Service. The Candidate Referral Service. Oh. Oh. You're talking about for letters of rec? No. I'm talking about the basically check a box and Wait, allow what? yourself to get spammed. They oh, that's all the, this is? Yes. They call it the that's, Candidate Referral oh. Service. Hi, Adam. Can you cut all that out? Apparently, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> no, leave it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what we've talked about it before, Ben. It's just the check the box thing where you let yeah, law school yeah, yeah. spam you. Okay, yeah, it just has such a fancy title. Right, I thought this right. was something more. Of course they do. It's the LSAC. They have to have unnecessary labels for things. <laughs> Candidate referral service. <laughs> it's not a service. It's opting into a stupid marketing campaign, which you should, by the way, because then you can get free uh, waivers and stuff. Yeah, you're going to get unsolicited scholarship offers. You're going to get unsolicited fee waivers. Uh, absolutely check the box and share your information. Um, who cares about your social security number, date of birth, all that stuff? It, it, what, are, what are they going to do with it? They're not going to do anything with it. Who cares? All that stuff is out there anyway. If you have credit cards, if you've ever like rented an apartment or applied for a, any loan, bought a car, <laughs> all that data is everywhere. And... There's nothing you could do about it, so just don't worry about it. That's my advice. I mean, do you do like do you do anything, Ben, to protect your identity? Like, you know, you hear all these advertisements for like LifeLock and all that shit nowadays. Yeah, no, so I don't. But um, it's funny because uh, 
I feel like it's one of those things I probably should do, and then I hear about people who get screwed, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I should probably do something like that. And then my dad had some issues with identity theft, and he sent me an article in a service. He's like, you should really sign up for this. And it's um, in my email inbox, and I haven't done anything with it. So it's just one of those things that I haven't ever gotten around to doing, but probably should. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. You don't think so? I'm a skeptic. I don't know. I think it's just people trying to prey on <clears throat> fears and trying to get money. I, I, I mean, my position is always like, you know, people who are like super crazy about their credit card number. Like, oh, I can't. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't want to. Like, I can't give you my credit card number via email. Mm-hmm. So, and meanwhile, you hand over your credit card number every day at like every gas station, McDonald's, everywhere. <laughs> You're constantly handing out your credit card to people all the time. Yeah, it's and the same like, thing with like your check checking account number and your checking or your routing <laughs> number. It's on your check that you give to someone <laughs> yeah. when you go to the store. I mean, you should check your statements. But like, I've had. I've had stuff on my credit cards before that I did not purchase. Okay. So I have had like whatever thefts on my credit card. You call your credit card company and they immediately reverse the charges and aggressively pursue whoever that was. I mean, Visa, do you understand how powerful Visa is? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not worried about credit. Powerful. I'm not worried about credit card stuff. I think I'm not really familiar with. Uh, identity theft and what that involves, like someone trying to take out a loan in your name and stuff like that. That's the stuff I think that some people are worried about. And I, I don't know anything about it, but it sounds pretty crappy if that something like that does happen. Like you can be held liable it just, for something until you like show that you're not liable. I I, I guess. I, I mean, it just to me, I like really someone's gonna buy a house. <laughs> they're gonna buy. They're gonna buy a house using my identity, and and I'm not gonna be able know. to. Dude, that's the thing that. is I I'm not a, I'm not an expert in that. That's but it sounds like people have some pretty horrible experiences. So something must have happened that was, you know, not as easy as, hey, Mister Visa, please clear my credit or refund the money because I've done that before too. Yeah, so that's easy. That's that's what's nice about credit cards. Yeah, I I, I guess I'm just a <clears throat> super skeptic. It just doesn't. I mean, sure, I understand that these things are theoretically possible, but um, boy, it just seems awful hard to buy a car using Nathan Fox's identity and have me not be able to just call my bank and be like, hey, this thing happened. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, that's what I would assume, too. I, I, I would assume that, but I mean, people talk about this stuff. I don't think it's not like not well, happening. People talk about a lot of things, including the president of the United States, like tweeting out totally fake <laughs> shit right so <clears throat> um yeah people talk anyway um yes Actually, well so we we have a fairly fairly wide audience if anyone has any experience with this let us know i'd be curious is yeah. this a thing or was it just call your credit card and cancel yeah so, i have strong opinions loosely held so i'm i'm fully willing to change my opinion on this <laughs> i just <laughs> intuitively it makes no sense to me that it, identity theft can really be that big of a deal but I would love to hear stories, and sure, you're you're welcome to change my mind, and I I will yep. change my mind if the evidence supports <laughs> me changing my mind. I'm perfectly happy to change my mind. If you can tell us a story about something that happened to you with your credit card debt, or if God comes down from the sky, Nathan will change his opinion. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I'm the biggest <laughs> atheist skeptic in the world, but if Jesus comes down from heaven right now, 
I uh, will fall to my knees. I promise. <laughs> I'm not a fucking idiot. Like, of yeah, course yeah. I will. <laughs> well, I'm sticking to my theory. <laughs> <laughs> this is all a big hoax. Yeah. Okay. Uh, continuing on with Jeremy's awesome email. It says, race. <laughs> I know this may be a sticky one. You can decline to provide your race to LSAC. Would there be a reason to? Some people believe that they are disadvantaged by affirmative action. Is this substantiated? Oh, no, not, no. It would help you. Oh. Wait, is this, is, <laughs> hold on. This all depends on, I'm assuming this person is, well, white, no. unfortunately, yes. right? Because this person you, must you, have... the only people who think about not providing the race seem to be white people, right? Of course. Is that racist? <laughs> no. That. Yeah, we are being racist by assuming <laughs> that this person is white. But no, this person is definitely white because of the, they're asking the question, am I going to be disadvantaged by affirmative action? Only a white person or maybe an Asian would ask that question. And uh, the answer is, in my opinion, well, two things. If you decline to provide your race, they're going to assume you're white. Yeah. Two, no, I do not think that you are disadvantaged by affirmative action. I, I just think there are so few black and Latino applicants. Uh, furthermore, they have harder lives than you do that you have every advantage by virtue of being white. And I just don't, <laughs> at least that's how I feel as a white guy. And I mean, I'm first generation college student. I did not grow up in a rich family. I, my parents are, you know, I mean, I'm from agricultural, like my grandparents came from the Dust Bowl, you know, but I still have every advantage in the world because I'm white. Uh, the 60s, the civil rights movement was like only 50 years ago. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you no, you <laughs> don't worry about it. You're you've got every advantage. You can go ahead and state that you're white or you can not check the box and they're just going to assume you're white. And you're going to continue to have all of your white person advantages. Well, on that sticky note, <laughs> I mean, what do you think? What do you think, Ben? No, I, I, I think that they're just going to assume that you're white if you don't put your race down. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't. I don't know what people usually do or who decide to not provide their race and why. Um, maybe it is random. I have no idea, but I, I wouldn't worry about the disadvantages or anything. I, I don't think a checkbox is going to make a difference one way or another. Yeah. Just don't put Native American if you're not Native American because then the president will call you Pocahontas. <laughs> he will come after you with fire and fury. Yeah. I mean, abs- but I mean, for real though, don't misstate your race. <laughs> come on. Oh, yeah. No, you don't want to do that. Yeah, you don't want to misstate anything uh, on your application. Um, okay. Next email. Yeah. Dear Nathan, I'm an avid listener of your Thinking LSAT podcast. Is it worthwhile to sign up for the February LSAT? I'm signed up for the December LSAT and intend to postpone, but the latest that I can postpone to is February 2018 without canceling my registration. Wait, what? For uh, for rescheduling. Okay. They they apparently oh. when this I mean this probably emails a little bit old, but it it was she was asking about, hey, I want I'm thinking about rescheduling, but they'll they'll only let me reschedule to February without canceling. Without canceling. Yeah, you still have to pay something to yeah. change your test date, but right. 
So I was just trying to follow what's going on. Okay. No, well, because Stephanie is making a mistake here about canceling. So go on and it'll become clear. Okay. I've met with deans of some law schools and they advised against canceling your LSAT registration test since it looks poorly on your LSAC record. Um, okay. I have heard some concerning comments. No, about no, no. The stop February there. Hold, stop, stop there. Oh, okay. So, right. So she's, she's clearly misunderstanding the difference between canceling and withdrawing. Yes. Okay. Well, and let's, let's make that clarification here really yes. quickly, right? So yes. first of all, uh, if you withdraw, which you can do by midnight, the day before the test, Eastern time, keep that in mind. It's not midnight wherever you are. It's midnight Eastern time, the day before the test. If you I actually withdraw, think it's 11.59 p.m., but yes. You're right, it is. And that's good contract practice, by the way, because midnight <laughs> can be confusing. 12 right. o'clock can be confusing for you. Yes. But anyways, um, if you <laughs> – by gosh, I hope you're not um, canceling at 11.59 and then saying like, well, Ben said by midnight and I didn't make it in time. Yeah, we'll get sued. Um, yeah. So anyways, if you withdraw by midnight the day before the test, then you lose your money. But there is no uh, record, uh, at least for LSAC purposes and for law school purposes, that you ever signed up for the test. Yeah. It's just there's your record is completely clean. So although you lose your money, the law schools will not know about it. If it's totally you, possible that the deans of these law schools don't even know that, by the way. Don't even know about the withdraw thing? Yeah. Or what? Oh, yeah. Oh. Because it yeah. won't show up on the record anyway. So the deans would never see a withdrawal. So they don't know about that. They know about cancellations. Yeah. And so these oh, deans. So she's talking to these deans and they're like not even aware of that option. The deans yeah. can be conflating canceling and withdrawing pretty easily because they don't necessarily know that you have the option to withdraw. But yeah, yeah, if you withdraw before you sit for the test, if you withdraw, it doesn't show up on your record. That's right. Uh, contrast now, that with no showing, which does show on your, on your up on your record. Yeah, so if you wait until after midnight, then your only option at that point is either to not show up, which will show up as an absence on your record, an A, if I remember correctly, uh, or take it and cancel, which is not a good idea anyway, but um, that would show up as a C on your record. So... Uh, if you pass that midnight deadline, then you're going to start seeing some things on your record. That said, an absence and a cancellation, if you end up doing them, don't mean anything anyway. If you have two cancellations or two absences, then you start to look flaky. But one happens all the time and is no big deal. So when this person says, I have met with the deans of some law schools and they advise against canceling your LSAT registration – since it looks poorly on your record, I would really want to know why they, these deans, think that that cancellation is such a big deal. That's weird. Yeah, I mean, I think I would, I, I would, I would always. I mean, just don't get the. Try to keep the first cancellation off off of your record so that you can cancel if you need to. That's right. You get sick. Um, something happens in your family and you can't show up and it's too late to withdraw. Hey, you have one cancellation. It's explainable. Um, you can just write an addendum if you really need to and just say what happened and then it won't be a big deal. Two cancellations yeah. starts to look like you're flakely, no matter how good your explanations are, right? Right. Oh, this thing happened and this thing happened. It's like, gee, can you get your life together? 
and just right. show up for an LSAT. Right. So, but you can withdraw as many times as you want, as long as you withdraw before that eleven fifty nine p.m. Eastern time, the day before deadline. As long as you withdraw, which you have to do online, by the way, through your LSAC account. But if you withdraw, it does not show up on your record. So that's right. Cancellations and absences do show, and one of them, no big deal. But you want to keep that in your back pocket as an emergency, uh, emergency backup. And so, yeah, don't come on. It doesn't. It's going to take you one minute to log on and withdraw. So just log on and withdraw. No big deal. Yep. Okay, now, Ben, I will permit you to continue reading this email. Thank you, Almighty Nathan. (laughs) I have heard some concerning comments about the February LSAT since it is undisclosed, and oftentimes the LSAC uses the February LSAT for experimental sections. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so we get this all the time. Don't you get this all the time? People are like, wait, February, I don't know if I want to take the February. It's not disclosed, and, you know, that's really fishy to me. Like. Think about this for a half second. LSAC is owned, in essence, by the accredited law schools. Yeah. They organized LSAC because they wanted a central organization to run the test for them so they could then use that test to evaluate applicants. Yep. If the LSAC does something shady and makes the February LSAC weird or different or somehow unreliable, then law schools – who own LSAC, would have to look at applicants and say, hmm, I have a 170 here from December, and I have a 170 here from February. Mm-hmm-hmm. I know the February LSAT's a little crazy, so this 170 from February is really like a 168. Therefore, I'm going to consider the December LSAT with more gusto and accept that person. No, it's totally ridiculous. They want to treat all scores the same so they don't have to parse it out based on when you took the LSAT. And LSAC has every incentive to administer this as a standardized test and keep things the same. So you won't know what answer choices you chose, um, but that doesn't give LSAC any reason to get you (laughs) or to like lower your score and not be worried that you won't be able to see it or something like that. Nothing's going to happen. It's fine. And they don't use the February LSAT for experimental sections. They use it for test centers that had to be closed down because of a hurricane or some other disaster. And they want to administer another test to those test takers a week later. They can't give them the test that they just took. So they take one of the undisclosed February LSATs from a previous year and they give them that test. Yeah, there's there's no reason not to take the February LSAT. I mean, the only <clears> – we sometimes – it might sound like we're shitting on the February LSAT. We just don't want you to take the February LSAT and apply for admission in the same year. That's, that's right. That's the only reason why we don't like the February LSAT. And that has fact, to do with the timing, not with the actual test itself. Yeah. The February LSAT could be the perfect LSAT for you. If that's the if if you're ready to take the test, you should take the February test. You just shouldn't apply in the same year for admissions. And like if you're if you're planning to take the December test, you should have the February test on your calendar as a backup. Yeah. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the February LSAT. You don't get your results back, but <clears throat> I mean, you don't get the the you don't get to see the questions. So you can't learn anything from that test, but that's not the point. The point is you need to get a score on record and 
if your practice tests indicate you're ready, then you should absolutely sit for the February LSAT. There's nothing different about it otherwise. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> also, people are worried about the field they, because they, they think the test is curved. People mm-hmm. sometimes say that they've heard that the February test is easier because there's less people taking it. That's not how it works. <laughs> it's, the test is scaled, not curved. And um, it's the, the LSAC is going to determine the difficulty of the test before they administer it. And there's no difference in difficulty uh, between the February test and any other test. So just take it. If that's the test for you, that's the test for you. Yep. I guess that's that. That's that. Should we promote the oh, yeah. subscribe page? Because we do have a newsletter, and the newsletter comes out on the day the podcast comes out. And if you'd like to get an email from us with our awesome show notes written by our uh, editor, Adam, uh, you can subscribe at thinkinglsat.com slash blog slash subscribe. Um, I guess that's all we have to say about that. Yeah. Um I was going to say, how many people do you think signed are signed up for that? Um, it's it's not that many. It's like four hundred. Hmm. Yeah, we should start true. giving some special offers or something in that uh, email. Tell you what, you, you think we could commit to that, Ben? What offer would we offer? I don't know, like a super secret offer, special offer that you only get if you sign up for that newsletter. How about a thinking LSAT T-shirt? Ooh. Because we got to do that anyway. We do have to do the Thinking LSAT t-shirt. We really have it's to do so that. It's so easy. Yeah, but I'm not giving you a t-shirt for signing up for that. I'll sell you a t-shirt for cheap <laughs> if you sign up for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. All we're talking about is putting your stupid email address in a yeah, subscription form. Yeah, we, we're going to go broke, Ben, if we give a t-shirt for everybody who does that. But hmm. we'll think of something. Sign up for the newsletter, and we promise that we will send out some sort of a deal. There'll be some sort of a discount, some sort of a something, some special. You'll feel super special. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next one? Yeah. Oh, I love the word in this first sentence. Mm. Beautiful. Is this my turn? No, it's your Mm, turn. Oh, oh, right. Hi, Thinking LSAT team. Just some thoughts, RE, the accommodations kerfuffle. Great word. Yeah. You'd mentioned before that providing, for example, a Braille test to a blind student feels different than giving extended time to a student with a learning difference. I had the same reaction, and this might be why. A Braille test confers zero benefit to anyone except a blind test taker. You're not going to want one unless you need it. A Braille test for a printed test is a direct swap. There's no advantage to having one or the other. They're just different ways of delivering the same experience. The LSAC could freely give our Braille give out Braille tests, and no one is going to be mm, clambering for them. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we'll give you we'll give you a pass on that one since you said kerfuffle. <laughs> uh the typo earlier in that same sentence though, the hour instead of out. Um but <laughs> okay, yeah. We're gonna call this a wash now. Clambering. You meant clamoring. Wait, so, yeah, that's how the phrase is usually used. Although clamber is a word. 
Oh. To climb, move, or get in or out of something in an awkward and laborious way, typically using both hands and feet. Now that's a that's a visual for you. People clambering for. <sighs> it's possible <laughs> that this. Rail it's po- it's po- we have to read the rest of the email before we dis- before we come down a hundred percent against okay. clambering. But I'm thinking that must have been clambering. I just can't imagine. That's that how you. That's the phrase that's usually used. That's the idiom. But anyways. Yeah. Okay. An ASL interpreter or even someone to read the test aloud to you also fall in that category, I think. I really do like the thought here because this is very, um, it's very law school-ish, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure. Sort of, I mean, this case, like this just sort of, here's maybe why it feels different. Uh, mm-hmm. This is like very like philosophy of law kind of thought. Mm-hmm. This is this is mm-hmm. a very uh, lawyer lawyerly kind of thing to be talking about. So I appreciate this email. Yeah, well, it's exactly what you do in law school, right? You try to find cases and say, well, here's a case and here's another case. How are they similar and thus should have the same law applied to them, or how yep. are they different and should thus be treated differently yep. under the law? Yeah, so that's all. That's law yep. school in a nutshell. You can yeah, just totally. stop there. Yeah, and so this is a nice point about um, why, yeah, why we all agree that Braille is no problem, but we might have a problem with um, extended time. Okay, so that's a nice point. Okay, so the second paragraph says, however, anyone could benefit from extended time. The LSAT or SAT or ACT is hard precisely because the time is limited. I mean, okay, it's one of the reasons why. It's it's also hard. I mean, there are questions on the LSAT that people are going to miss even if they have unlimited time. So it's not it's not only hard because time is limited, but one of the reasons yeah. why is because time is limited. I'll agree with that. Yep. Okay. Thus, more time is an enormous advantage. There's no direct swap here. Those with extended time get something others do not. That's not to say that no one should have extended time, but it should receive a higher level of scrutiny because of the unusual advantage it confers. You could get into similar territory with private rooms, but even those are not as objectively advantageous. What do you think about that? No, I think that's the issue that we've been debating for so long. Like if you could quantify exactly how someone's learning disability or difference or whatever you want to call it, if you could quantify exactly how much that slows them down compared to the, say, average person, then I would feel much more confident saying, okay, then um, you're 17% slower at processing language. Therefore, we will give you 17% more time, and now everything's hunky-dory. But since... It feels to me like the Wild West of, you know, mental analysis out there. And maybe that's just because I'm ignorant, but I, I really haven't heard a convincing case where we can exactly identify how much slower someone processes something versus the normal, yeah. so to speak, processing speed. Um yeah. It's really uncomfortable to just say, okay, well, you get time and a half or, hey, no, you get double time. Uh, because it seems all very arbitrary, and yeah. if that person really only needed seven more minutes and now you've given them 15, that is yeah. 100% going to help them. 
Yeah. And well, right. The, it's, it's, but did I tell you about that student who applied because of anxiety and got approved? I don't remember. Okay. I had this, I forget if it was a student or it might've been a tutoring student. I don't know. It, caller. I can't remember who it was, but said that she had applied for, she, she didn't even know that she would qualify for accommodations because of her anxiety, but she does suffer from anxiety. So she applied for accommodations because of her anxiety. She didn't even ask for time and a half, but they gave her, they approved her and gave her time and a half. Yeah. Like she had asked for some other accommodation. I don't know if she asked for like five minutes extra time or if she asked for a private room or whatever she asked for, but they approved her and gave her time and a half without her asking for it. Jeez. That just sounds like they've thrown up their hands. Like yeah, they I don't think care so anymore. too. Well, they lost a fucking lawsuit. They're just like, and so now they're like, well, there's nothing we could do. Our hands are tied. We're just going to, well, sure. Yep. And maybe they're relying on all of the test takers to start applying for accommodations and just flood the system. And then everybody has to get time and a half. And then it makes the time, you know, it makes the accommodations meaningless. I, I, and, and then maybe they're just hoping that the courts will like come to their senses and fix this. That's quite the, uh, that's quite the game plan. I don't, well, shit. I, I mean, what else can they do? Like they can't, they don't want to keep getting sued. They don't want to keep losing lawsuits. No, it's so, a lot cheaper to say, sure, go ahead, than it is yeah. to say, oh, we're going to do what's right. Right. It it does make me think that everyone should just apply for accommodations now. Yeah. Like, just, just ask them. It's, like, it's sort of like asking for a fee waiver. Yeah. Why don't you just ask LSAC for extra time? Just, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, listen, we all yeah. have anxiety or depression or something. Yeah, who isn't like, anxious about this test in some way, right? Even the right. best scores are concerned. Um, yeah, I have I, anxiety. My dentist gave me Xanax so that if I if I have to have a, like, dental procedure, I can take a Xanax because it makes me super anxious. Well, okay, now you, you have been prescribed Xanax for anxiety by a yeah. doctor. So put that into your letter to the LSAC and, you know, see if they approve you for extra time for the, for, for the LSAT. I don't know. This is, it's a system. It's like blowing my mind. I don't understand. Yeah. Um, let me continue with this email. Side Just note. to clarify, by the way, yes. sorry, just to clarify to everyone out there, anyone out there who feels like they have a learning difference and really do need extended time, we're not saying that you shouldn't get it or that you don't deserve right. it. Right. It's we're saying that it's a really slippery slope, and it's hard to tell who should get it and who shouldn't get it. Um, for your own good, you should just assume that you should get it and go get it. But as a policy matter, it's confusing as heck, and I don't. It know. just yeah, the system seems broken. It seems like it was better before. I mean, it does it, because I know people. I mean, I have had students super nice, super sweet, super thoughtful, and I would just like. I could see how they were different and I could see how it did. It made sense to me that they needed extra time, but these were not people that were scoring 170. These were people that were scoring 150 and trying to get to 160 and they were working super hard. And for some reason they couldn't get it, but I could talk to them and at length I could see that they really understood it, but they were just not able to do it in the time. And it was because of some, you know, they have dyslexia or they have some sort of some processing difference that just, I've seen it. Like I know that it's real, but it's impossible mm-hmm. to tell when it's real or when it's just some rich kid who wants extra time because I've absolutely seen that as well. Yeah. 
And so I don't know. I'm super confused about this whole thing. I, I, yeah, I save your hate mail because I'm trying to do my best on this. I, I, I <laughs> thank you, Ben, for, for pointing out that we're not awful people. <laughs> According to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm doing sorry. the best I can. I promise. I really am. I'm, I'm trying. Um, okay. Side note. <clears throat> the interview with Dr. Maloff still confuses me. How does he distinguish between a learning disability and a learning difference? Is there a medical differentiation? Aren't some humans naturally going to respond to standardized tests differently than other humans? The whole point of the LSAT is to see whether you're good at taking the LSAT and not everyone is going to be. The application process has multiple components so that you can compensate for a weakness with a strength. Those who struggle with standardized tests can work really hard on their grades. Those with middling grades can study hard and rock the LSAT, etc. In sum, isn't it a losing battle to try and correct for every difference? The process won't be fair no matter what because our society isn't equitable. Or is this just an argument against the whole standardized test system? Thank you for all you do. And this is, I guess, anonymous. So I don't totally disagree with some of the claims in this last paragraph, but I do feel like the general tone of this is going too far as if there is no, like, <laughs> if you have a learning difference, you can compensate that for that by getting better grades. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's a hard sell given how important the LSAT is in the application process. And given the fact that, um, Tests are part of your undergraduate grades, too. I mean, there's plenty of tests that I'm sure these people who struggle with the LSAT, because of their learning difference, they also struggle with the exams they had to take in undergrad. Yeah. I think I – think so I think that this is going a little too far by basically just saying, hey, let's just not have accommodations at all almost. That's sort of the, the sense here. Well, um, not for – yeah, it does seem like this correspondent wants no, no accommodations for um, – what did they call it? Learning differences. Learning difference. yeah. And I'm not even yeah. sure what the difference is between a learning disability and a learning difference. I thought they were the same thing, but people preferred one name over the other um, because it's not a disability. It's just a difference, which – Right. But whatever. I, I think that the way things were before was actually really good. I feel like it was really hard to get accommodations, but if you were a clear-cut case, you got them – and that really minimized the number of people who took advantage of it. So I feel like the tone of this paragraph goes too far, but the idea is good that we need to push back and go back to something in the way it was before the Ninth Circuit, who probably reviewed this for the sum total of three hours and then decided that a huge wrong had been taken place here and you know, said, LSAC, go do something else. That's my yeah. guess. Yeah, I mean, I and I, I don't even know. Right, the, like I don't know the details of the exact suit. Like I don't know if it was somebody who really deserved the extra time or if it was somebody who was taking advantage of the system. I just oh, know it was probably the, an ideal candidate, right? That's what right. they do is they wait for the ideal litigant and then they take that person and they try their case. Right. So it was somebody who actually deserved it, but then yeah. now the the result is that the. LSAC has to be much more generous with these accommodations that they're giving out. And what we've seen, I mean, I've, we've, it's just seems like the floodgates have opened. Yep. 
I mean, it seems like I've just heard person after person saying that they got approved and that they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think I'd get approved, but now I have time and a half. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. What? What? Yeah. The best email we got, I mean, this is a nice email. I don't, yeah, I don't think I would agree with everything that they're saying here, but the best email that we got or the best point that I saw someone make was the uh, point about how, of course, people are going to take advantage of this system. It's lawyers. It's law school. Yeah. Like, that's just, it's exactly what's going to happen is people are going to, you know, it's lawyers are advocates and, you know, they're, they're killers. They're, they're people who are going to try to get advantages. That's mm -hmm. just, that's what you want in a lawyer is someone who's going to try to get advantages. And so now, I mean, shit, maybe that's the system. Maybe that's the game. Maybe it is just another test. Yeah. Here's like, one. Yeah. Are you cutthroat yeah. enough to ask for extra time? Yeah. <laughs> and if you are great, cause you're going to get like five, 10 more points on the LSAT. I mean, it's totally an unfair advantage. Time and a half is just ridiculous. It's huge. And so, I mean, it's ridiculous for, especially when the people don't really like if they, if <laughs> I don't know, I just can't imagine giving somebody time and a half who already scored 168. Yeah. What? 168 on, on time, 35 minute sections. And now you're going to have time and a half. Okay. Well, welcome to the 99.9th percentile. Yeah. You just went from the 96th percentile, <laughs> the top 4%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It what? does appear that you have a learning difference and we need to take care of that right away. I oh mean, yeah. Yeah. Cause you're clearly a one in a thousand student. You're not, you know, you're not, you're not only like a top 4% of the entire law school applicant pool, <laughs> which is already top like 1% of the country. Yeah. You're not, you're not just top 4% of that pool. You're actually like one out of a thousand. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So here, here's this, this whole discussion can be, um, uh, discouraging, maybe for those of you who don't think you can get accommodations, but don't worry about any of it. Like your fate is in your hands. So if you can and you think there might be a reasonable shot at getting accommodations, go ask for it. Go try to get it. If not, don't worry about that. Take advantage of the fact that you can think quickly or faster than other people and just study for the test, learn as much as you can. Don't worry about other people's game. Just focus on learning and you'll do the best you can. And that's your um, best chance at success, right? Like don't worry about other people. Just focus on yourself and improving yourself. Yeah. I mean <clears throat> there are people like you, Ben, and like me who can score 99th percentile with normal time. So, you know, and there's people who work their way up to that in normal time. It's not like super common, but it does happen. And, um, there's people who go to Harvard and Stanford and Yale with, you know, a 168. And, uh, so yeah, I agree. If you, if you go, there's always going to be people who are getting advantages. There's always people who are richer, taller, better looking. And <clears throat> so, right. Compare yourself to other people and you're going to be miserable. And instead yeah. you should just be doing what you can do in, in to make the most of your situation and not not getting agitated. I'm, I, I like, I don't feel badly for people who have normal time. That's not at all what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm just saying that this, the system seems like it's broken and it's, it seems absurd to me that it's like as easy as it is to get the accommodations. So, 
Yeah. It's puzzling. I don't know. Maybe we should just stop talking about it. <laughs> this topic is banned from all future podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cool. How are we doing on time? Um, we should probably wrap up soon, but I could go a little bit longer. Let's do one more so we don't end on that super depressing topic. Sure. Sounds good. Okay. Oh, look at <laughs> look at what this is about. Hello, Nathan and Ben. I'm 43 <laughs> and decided to go to law school. I feel it's the next step for me if I want to be in a position to make changes in our country's laws. Hmm. Uh, I made the attempt before during my late 20s, early 30s, but could only score 148, and my GPA was only 2.3 to 2.4. Mm. This is not sounding good. Not looking good. good. No. Nope. Uh, I put myself through college with two jobs, but found out much later after trying the LSAT that I was ADHD with a learning disability. Wait, I think we just banned this topic. Now we're talking about it. <laughs> well, I do we're not, already talking about it. Yeah, we're in. I do not have a master's degree, but wonder if this is worth chasing again. Can you offer some advice? So there are a bunch of red flags here. First red flag, I feel... You say, I feel it's the next step for me if I want to be in a position to make changes in our country's laws. <laughs> that is yeah. way too vague, way too um, aspirational. You need to make this much more concrete. What law in particular do you want to change? And do you have to be an attorney to make that change? Chances are not at all. Um, most people who make an impact get involved with the people who are concerned about that issue and then they see what needs to be done, and they go do that. And having a JD is rarely necessary. Uh, most people who have JDs are loaded with debt and therefore need to go practice law and don't have time to worry about our country's laws. And very, very few attorneys ever end up practicing before the Supreme Court in a way that they can change <laughs> our laws in some sort of meaningful way. <laughs> Yeah, right. well said. I I I feel like idealists should stop going to law school. It's it's not it's not what you think it is. Going to law school is you make yourself a cog in the machine. Yeah. You know, it's it's you know, and and the only way you pay back your loans is by making yourself a cog in like the corporate big law machine. Mhm. And those people you're not you're not changing the laws. <laughs> you're using the laws to make money. Right. that's it you're not unless you get a jd and then go right into like working on the hill or something like that i mean but you don't necessarily need a jd to do that and really you should have more experience doing that first and then see if a jd is really required for the very specific concrete thing that you want to do this seems very vague um vacuous and needs to be rethought before you essentially rework your mind because you're going to have to get in and work your butt off to the point where you can compensate for your initial low well, it's not like a, a really well I don't know what your initial score was uh, if that was your very first score it wouldn't be that that low but if that's what you worked towards and could only get to it just seems like you're going to have to do a lot of work to get anywhere meaningful with this and it may not even be the right path I'm not trying to – I mean, geez, that's really negative, but I would – that's what I would do is I would focus on what you actually want to accomplish first, figure that out, and then worry about law school if you even need to. 
my mission in life is to is to help people not get ripped off by law schools. You know, I, for real. That's what I'm passionate about. And this this student just seems like a perfect candidate for getting ripped off. You got a 2.3, 2.4 undergraduate GPA. It was a long time ago, but that's still going to weigh down your application. And so you're going to need a truly excellent score on the LSAT to get into a decent school and to, you know, have any chance at scholarships, although you're probably not really going to be able to get scholarship money with that low of grades. And so, you know, this just, this seems like a pretty clear don't pay for law school. Yeah. If, if you can figure out how to get a scholarship, prove us wrong, get a scholarship, go to law school, change the country's laws, send us an email. We will eat crow gladly. Yeah. But for every person who thinks they're going to change the country's laws, there's a thousand people who, you know, find themselves miserably working in some just law office somewhere and not doing anything near or, or not even practicing law at all. Yeah. Um, you're, I don't know what state Lori's in, but with a 148, you're a really good candidate to fail the bar exam in any state, especially in California, if that's where you happen to be. And it's just, this is not looking like a, not looking like a good plan to me. Yeah. Um, thanks for, thanks for writing. You can't change the world. (laughs) (laughs) Not to say you can't, you know, well, Hey, 43 is young. 43. You have a lot of life ahead of you and there's a lot of difference you can make in the world. But if you want to, people think about national politics way too much. I think. Yeah, a lot of stuff happens down on the ground in your state. Stop trying to change the country's laws and instead worry, you know, run for local school board, run for city council, help out with your state senator race, maybe, or or state rep race, or, you know, like mayor's office of your, of your town. I mean, like there's tons you can do locally to change lives for the people that are actually around you. But if you think you're going to go to law school and miraculously make some giant impact in the the law of the United States of America, I mean, that's just fictional. It's you're not going to be Thurgood Marshall. I'm sorry. There's there's that's a once in a lifetime type of a of a dude. So with thousands and thousands and thousands of people like jumping into the meat grinder every year the odds that you're going to be the one that makes some gigantic impact in the, the country, like the United States is just uh, <laughs> far fetched. Well, another way to think about this is think about how many people go to Harvard and yeah. come out and don't do anything with their career in a way that changes the country's laws. You know, I mean, there, the Harvard is pouring out, students every year, graduating hundreds of students every year. And yeah, a lot of them do amazing things like Obama. But um, even among that elite group, the vast majority do not. They go work at some big firm and they make a good living, but they don't change our country's laws. So yeah. And your Lori's not going to Harvard. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just, you know, <laughs> Right. Obama, that's another one. It's like a, a one in 
thousands and thousands and thousands who who ends up on that kind of a path. And that's I don't know what Obama's LSAT score was, and I don't know what his GPA was, but it was a hell of a lot better than a 148 and a 2.3 or 2.4. Mm-hmm. You know, and and so it's just you're you're not getting into that kind of a school. And even if you did go to that kind of school, as Ben says, there's hundreds of them every year, and not even one of them ends up being you know, making that kind of an impact on, on policy like that. Yeah. So, oh boy, law schools are going to hate us even more now. (laughs) How about your uh, alma mater? You know, since you brought it up. (laughs) I had to after you sent me that email. (laughs) I got another email from the um, UC Hastings alumni uh, list, which I, I'm surprised they haven't like taken me off the list. Yeah. Well, Cause don't you respond to like every single one with like point counterpoint? <laughs> He's probably like, not this Nathan Fox guy again. What well, I didn't respond. I didn't respond to, to, to Oh, Dean you didn't respond. To the, you just summarized it for me. Got it. Well, Dean Fagman doesn't respond to, I've, I've sent him, he, he sent a request asking for like how to improve the Hastings community. And I sent him an email with like a, an idea and he didn't respond to me. And then I followed up a month later and I sent him the same idea and said, hey, Professor Fegman, you know, you might remember me. I took a class from you and I just I wanted to as an alumni alum, I, I was just responding to your request to the alumni community about how to improve Hastings. And I, again, I got no response. <laughs> um, yeah. So he sends these uh, like thousand word emails. Uh, yeah. Talk about wall of text. Oh, they would never be read on this show, by the way. I mean, <laughs> for comedy purposes. Wait, we did read one of them, didn't we? Um, oh, I guess we did. Yeah, well, if it's a wall of humor. But just based yeah. on the first glance, they're just awful. Yeah. I can't believe people would even read them. He's trying to appeal for their support and their money. Like, people have time for that sort of thing? It's crazy. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. I'm just going off. Yeah, so this one this one that came out yesterday, it just – every time I, – I love reading them, actually, because it makes me laugh. But – the the subject was July 2017 bar exam results and the uh too long did not read of this the summary of this of this email and i shit you not i mean i didn't did i did i misstate it no the tldr did you read it did you i, did I you read actually... it cuz i was i yeah i got pulled into the whole insanity of it all like right. that someone so, would have the gall to write this in such a ugh. I don't know. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable, this guy. So let me let me just give you, I'll give you the bullet points. I summarized the email into these bullet points. One, our bar passage rate at UC Hastings is still eight points below the California state average. Two, tuition at UC Hastings has gone from $1,280 to $45,000 a year since I started teaching here. Three, it's the state bar's fault that the bar passage rate is so low. Four, it's also the fault of students transferring out of, stu- out of Hastings and going to better law schools. Five, <laughs> it can be thought of as a selfish act for alumni to donate to Hastings. It's selfish of you to donate to Hastings and that's why you should do it. You got to read uh, the sentence <laughs> that he wrote. Okay. Yeah, I will. I will. Let me find it. It's awesome. Um, bum, bum, bum. Oh, here we go. 
Hastings has over 20,000 living alumni. We have the numbers and the capacity. Indeed, giving to Hastings could be thought of as something of a selfish act. He goes on, the value of your Hastings degree is tied to our place in the national consciousness. Giving back to your alma mater not only supports our goal of attracting and retaining the best students, it is an investment in the value of your degree. What a bunch of bullshit. Oh, my God. (laughs) He just... The tuition is now $45,000 a year. Oh, I guess, you know, maybe he's like reaching out to the people who only paid $1,280. But <laughs> Look still, how the, valuable the idea, it is now. <laughs> the idea that you giving a dollar to Hastings is going to result in more than a dollar of value returned back to you, and therefore it's a selfish act. That's crazy. It's audacious. It's a, it's a shit. He's a hell of a lawyer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> because that is just a, an unbelievable. Like, it's amazing that he could make that, uh, you know, that he could make that case with a straight face. Uh, wow. If anybody wants this email, I'm happy to forward it to you. Uh, email me Nathan at foxlsat.com and I'll email. I'll just forward you the uh, the full text of the email that came out from Hastings. By the uh, way, can you read that Indeed sentence just one more time? Just the just the one Indeed sentence. <clears throat> Indeed, giving to Hastings could be thought of as something of a selfish act. Just stop right there. That is like, that is a perfect LSAT sentence. That is something that would come out of some convoluted logical reasoning question. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. Where they, where they just give facts that, that tend to exactly support the opposite of that. And then you arrive at this, bizarrely arrive at this conclusion. Yeah, well, the fact that they're talking about selfishness, I mean, the LSAT loves that. It, 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 in, instead of saying that it is, in fact, self, selfish, they're just, he's just saying that it could be thought of as a selfish act. Right, yeah. It's not necessarily selfish, but it could be yeah. thought of one as that. It's like, it's so LSAT-esque. He, he really should yeah. change careers. He should shift and go start working for LSAT. <laughs> He'd fit right in. Um, his language is perfect. His <laughs> attitude indeed. is perfect. <laughs> Even indeed. that indeed yeah. is perfect because the, the the way that indeed works, it's sort of like saying clearly or obviously or something. Like it's the thing you say when you're about to lie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Indeed. Um, uh, <laughs> it means nothing at all. It just makes you like sound like what you're about to say is, is true when in fact it's false. Yeah. Oh, that's good, man. Amazing. Okay. Um Hey, Ben, does help at thinkagalsat.com still work? It does. Okay. I got some weird – because I know we've been doing some weird Google stuff on the back Oh, uh, yeah. I got, I got some emails that made me think that maybe that wasn't working anymore. No, but, that was something else. Sorry about that. Okay. So if you uh, would like to uh, email the show, please hit us up, help at thinkinglsat.com. We appreciate uh, funny emails. We also appreciate non-walls of text. So if you could, uh, you know, use some bullet points and uh, make it clear what you would like us to address and uh, not put too much fluff in there unless it's really funny, um, we would appreciate it. Um, anything else, Ben? No. Okay. We will leave it there and we will be back with you uh, in a week. Cool.